Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We're going to continue talking about a topic that we've dealt with recently and will continue to, incidentally, and that relates to retirement communities with a particular emphasis on continuing care retirement communities, or some people have heard them labeled life plan communities. So that, that continuum of care concept where you go in and you stay for the balance of your life and transition throughout, that's a product or an opportunity that didn't exist not so long ago. And I know many of you come to me and have sent us questions regarding this topic. So we know that because it's such a big topic and complicated, lots of issues come up in a decision regarding whether or not this is right for you and and can you afford it? And if you can, where should you go? So what we thought the best thing we could do is find somebody who is an authority in this field, somebody who is of recognized stature, I would say, among the more knowledgeable people that I could certainly find in this field in the U.S. And and this is our guest today. Let me, let me do an introduction here, a proper introduction of Benjamin uh, Pierce. Benjamin Pierce, he's an expert uh, in the field of senior living, and he's, he's spoken and is a leader in that industry and on the subject of senior care. Uh, He has three decades of experience working with over 200 communities in 33 states. He's a regular author and speaker, but his book, Senior Living Communities, Operations Management and Marketing for Assisted Living, Congregate and Continuing Care Retirement Communities, that was published in 1998. It's into a second edition now. A third edition is coming along. Published by John Hopkins University Press. It's kind of the go-to handbook for effective senior residential facilities now. He's uh, also written many articles on senior living for for publications such as uh, Provider, Contemporary Long-Term Care, and Assisted Living Success. Uh, Mr. Pierce also serves as uh, an expert witness for assisted living and skilled nursing litigation. This interested me, and I think you can see how that that gives us insight into what we need to know in selecting homes. Let me continue just briefly here. Uh, Mr. Mr. Pierce also, he uh, shares his expertise as an adjunct professor uh, at Johns Hopkins University and New York University. So he, from time to time, teaches classes there. And, of course, he consults, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and say other things uh, that is in his CV. But these are the things that, that, that really captured my attention in terms of the relevance and the helpfulness to you, our audience. Uh, so, Ben, Ed, can I call you Ben? Sure. Ben Pierce, I welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Where shall we start? Um so I, I kind of prepared an outline of things I wanted to touch on, and it was influenced by this marvelous book that you have. Um, Mr. Pierce has written a book called Making the Move to a Retirement Community. It's almost like a booklet. While some of his stuff, you know, are, 
pardon the phrase, almost a tome, that this is so usable and it's user-friendly and it's intended to be for the benefit of you, the prospective resident or, or uh, the person who might be investing in such a community to live. So uh, we will have a copy of this available on our website. Justin, we can do that. Yeah, and and I should I should thank here uh, on air, uh, Mr. Pierce, for uh, making this available free of charge to you. I can tell you that if you bought this anywhere else, you would pay something for this. So uh, it's a marvelous gift, and and we encourage those of you um, who who are interested in this topic to definitely go to our website and and check out this "Making the Move to a Retirement Community" by Benjamin Pierce. I want to remind you that. It's very important to us to get subscriptions. Um, For you to press that like button is helpful, but the subscribe button is the most important thing to us. And, you know, we don't sell a product on here. I mean, actually, the show is sponsored by Tucker Allen, so we do talk about Tucker Allen. But to be honest with you, the, the efforts that we put into this show is something that is of personal value to us more than monetary, quite frankly. We do love to do it because we think that we're being of great value to to many of you. Let us know that. Uh, Like us, yes. But the most important thing we look at is subscriptions. So why don't we uh, kind of start with with the definition, trying to understand what is a continuing care retirement community or life plan community? Well, there are several different kinds of uh, senior living communities, starting out with a standalone assisted living and then assisted living with a memory care component, and then uh, an assisted living with independent living and a memory component that's all rental. And then there's a continuing care retirement community where uh, generally the prospective person buys into this community, and, and it provides not only independent living, but assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing. So as someone, uh, someone's lifestyle challenges become increasingly complex, um, they could move from one component of that to the next without leaving the campus. Now, there are for-profit CCRCs and they're not-for-profit uh, CCRCs. Generally, the not-for-profit CCRCs are sponsored by an organization such as the Baptists or Presbyterians, and um, there's a Lutheran one here in St. Louis. Lutherans, yeah, they have. That's a great organization, by the way. And um, so, for the consumer, um, the not-for-profit uh, does not end up having to pay taxes, and by virtue of their five hundred one c three. Uh, status, they have to balance their expenses with their revenues. So generally, the programs are a bit more robust. The um, value to the consumer is a little bit better in a not-for-profit than it is for uh, for a for-profit because of those two financial factors. But that's a generalization, would you say? I mean, you agree. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just yeah. want I didn't want anybody to be spooked off if they if they've looked at one uh, that may be for profit that may in fact be good. But your argument makes complete sense that you have more dollars to work with if the entity is not paying taxes. Right. 
Um, so uh, can you say just generally, what are the chief advantages uh, and perhaps disadvantages of this concept of a continuing care retirement community, the pros and cons, so to speak? Well, the, the huge pro to um, the continuing care retirement community is being able to enter this campus and be able to access any level of continuum of care that you need or that your spouse needs without having to be off-site. So you don't have to leave to get therapy. You don't have to leave uh, to get uh, access to memory care. Uh, and you know the husband and wife can stay together and um, they pay uh, an, an entry fee generally some of the entry fees uh, burn off, and and if they leave earlier, uh, some of them are refundable, some are not. And so the big advantage of that is all of the care can be accessed in one location and under the same management, and certain therapies are available, and, and certain uh, physicians uh, groups are available that cater to this particular organization. And some of those services uh, are Medicare reimbursable. So um, some of the therapies are Medicare reimbursable. Some of the short-term care can be Medicare reimbursable. So having everything under one, one umbrella uh, can enable people to use whatever Medicare benefits that they have uh, they have qualified for. Now, that's not to say Medicare pays for everything. Medicare does not. Medicare does not pay for custodial care, uh, doesn't uh, pay for room and board, uh, but it does pay for therapies, durable medical equipment, and a variety of other things. And those services are generally available in a large CCRC campus. Yeah, that you will not find available typically in a in a independent living, assisted living, or assisted living with memory care campus. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about about that and about what custodial care is, and I think many people get that. Um, and just keep in mind, viewers, that this is this is things that are not medical treatment. So that's much of the cost when you age and sort of decline. It's not technically medical treatment for an illness or an injury. And really, Medicare is designed not to pay for for long-term care. It's not designed to to pay for the costs of of, of general living that are associated with with aging. Right. It's really has to be related to your medical care. So I think most of our audience gets that. Uh, one point that that I would add to your list, and I'm sure you would agree, is the fact that you have you know, emphasis on the word community. You have people that that are in similar circumstances and and it and it would be a pretty stable relationships that you'd have over time, a group of friends uh, that that you would would share this experience with and both recreationally and lifestyle, et cetera. Right. And you develop these friendships. I mean, it's scary when you first move into one of these places because you don't know anybody. Right. But after a while, the staff will recognize like personalities and like interests and steer people towards one another. Um, there's also groups that uh, that form. There's card groups. There's pickleball groups. There's uh, activities that are designed to attract certain individuals with similar interests. And then once you get to know those people, 
it becomes a very mutually symbiotic relationship and the people really support one another. Um, I was uh, at a facility just yesterday and uh, I also uh, play my guitar and, uh, and entertain people in uh, assisted living facilities because I kind of miss them. I'm not operating communities anymore, but I miss older people and I play the guitar and and uh, I often get asked to come and do parties. And and uh, and so yesterday was one of those days and there was a woman there that was having a birthday and uh, it was a significant uh, birthday for her. And there must have been 50 of her friends from the community. Uh, and this was a CCRC um, who came to share her birthday with her. That's great. So it, it just, after we sung happy birthday to her and, and, you know, everybody had their cake, she wanted to say a few words. And it was really touching what she said. She said, you know, I would never have this kind of support system if, if I didn't come here. I would never have this many friends. I would never have an outpouring of kindness and support if I had not come here. I would be home and my best friend would be the mailman and Vanna White. <laughs> and so here I can really live my life to a more fuller extent and be surrounded by people who are in a similar situation, similar age, similar predicaments. And those people have a tendency to want to help and care for each other. So, yeah, you do get care from the facility staff. So let me also, let me emphasize too, though, a point that, that you mentioned in passing, though, but the range of recreational options uh, at a good at a good facility or a good campus is amazing. You have access to a variety of activities. You named a couple card games, pickleball, but there's a long list of stuff that you commonly right. find, and and you wouldn't have this in your typical neighborhood, right? And that's so true. And also, there are particular activities that are specifically designed for certain populations. For example, in a memory care unit. There's going to be activities that stimulate reminiscence, long-term memory, short-term memory, um, the spirituality, uh, eye-hand coordination, uh, grooming, arts and crafts, music, all those kind of things that you and I do, Joe, every day in our life. And we don't think anything of it. But a lot of these facilities that people can go into you know, they tend to focus on more the care side and then sandwich in some activities during the day rather than have activities all day and sandwich your care needs in, which is what you and I do. You yeah. know, that's life. That's how we live. Yeah. And so the more that um, activities that are available and scheduled, whether the person wants to participate in them or not, the fuller life they're going to have. And, you know, we don't want to have our life reduced to birthday Bible and bingo and uh, the three B's, which is huh. uh, the old time activity standard for for assisted living. So now people are doing crafts. They're doing social media. They're doing music programs and they're doing reminiscence and things that that activate their short and long term memory. And it's just become much and much, much more sophisticated 
uh, in the 40 years that I've been doing this. Yeah, and an- another thing that, that I see going on in places such as that is they have intellectual things that such as speakers come in from a local university and they'll talk about you know a, a art history or they'll talk about a war history or you know just lots of rich information and presentations that encourage not only you learn but there's a dialogue after right we we did that uh, when I was running buildings we had um, a whole seminar series of particular topics that were of interest to uh, to people. We would bring in professionals that uh, are fam- were familiar with Alzheimer's research. We would bring in um, tax specialists. We would bring in um, home health agencies to explain what, you know, the difference between uh, uh, a medical home health model and a social home health model. So there would be a continuous availability uh, of education. And one thing that we really learned was people like coming to these things and we opened them up to the public and we ended up getting a lot of people from the public coming into to our seminar series. And some of those people that came in ended up being, becoming residents there because they became familiar with the building. They become familiar with the, with the other residents who attended the seminars and uh, the socialized with them uh, afterwards. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, there's just a, 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 a continuous thirst for knowledge. And mm-hmm. one thing that I've noticed over the years, having done this for 40 years, is that um, people, seniors that are seniors now, aren't about to be put into a box. They're not about to be put on a shelf. They uh, want to live their life as active as possible. They want to continue to expand their mind, their 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 uh, education, and uh, and their sphere of influence. You know, and what I found is the more active somebody is, the less they focus on the things that are wrong with them. So if you're focusing on all the things you can't do anymore then the body follows the mind and pretty soon you're not doing things anymore. But if your focus is on raising money for a, um, for a pet shelter or uh, being active in the church, being active in church or being active uh, in a musician, a musician's group or going to, to an open mic. I mean, we had open mics where people who play guitar out in the, uh, out in the world, come in and and play uh, music for the residents, and the residents just love that. It's free live music. There's nothing like live music, and the musicians love it because they may not otherwise easily obtain that opportunity. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. that I, I can see how uh, there's very much engagement in a community like that properly ran. For sure, and people live longer, Joe, when and they have less health health complications when they have something to look forward to every day or next week or on Thursdays or, or, you know, whenever the activity or seminar or engagement opportunity presents itself. Those are the things that occupy your brain rather than, ah, my back hurts today. And, you know, I'm just not feeling well. And they, they generally tend to focus on things that are positive, that are productive, that are engaging and they focus less on all the things they can't do anymore. 
So, um, so we talked about some of the many good things about CCRC, Continuing Care Retirement Communities. Um, let's talk about some of the challenges or some of the disadvantages. What, what would you say are the main disadvantages? Well, the main disadvantage is the cost. Uh, a lot of people cannot access, um, you know, a large upfront endowment fee that uh, many of these communities charge. And often when you come in, uh, one of the other disadvantages is that you're purchasing a unit and then the unit is yours. And in, once you're, you move on and you pass the, the, the unit on to your children, uh, then it's up to you to remarket it. And that's, that's a difficult for some families. Um, the other disadvantage is that um, sometimes there is a limited availability in memory care or availability in assist in um, skilled nursing, and some of the CCRCs will open up their skilled nursing facility to outside paying private patients that did not come through the program, and uh, so that's financially advantageous for the building, for everybody really, to keep the building full. But sometimes people have to wait to, to uh, access a bed in, assist in, 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 in the nursing home side and may be forced to go subsequent to like a, um, a hip fall or fall and hip fracture. They go to the hospital, they may have to go to a rehab facility and stay in that rehab facility until a unit becomes available in the uh, CCRC. And that rehab facility would not be within that community? Not necessarily, Yeah. No. So how do people protect themselves? Let me first step back and say, in this scenario you're describing, are you suggesting that generally when this happens, when something's not available, that it's for a brief period of time? It's not that for a substantial period of time that door would be closed. That is really the reason they're there is they wanted to transition in the same community. Well, if you go into the hospital and have a three-day, three-night, three-midnight pre-qualifying hospital stay, um, Medicare will pay for your rehab up to a certain number of days. And I think 100 days a year, I believe. Yeah. So those days can be, can be uh, taken up and used at the rehab center and there's enough those days that there should be a room that would open up for you back in your own CCRC. So, so let me so let, let me clarify this then, because this goes a long way to reassure uh, a viewer. So, you're suggesting though that this may just be a, a, a timing issue where there for is sure. a, yeah, there's a lag of maybe a month or so. And right. that that still they would it pick up at that point with their intended plan, which was to stay within this community. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That and and as you point out, often you will have coverage because that's treatment for an injury or an illness if you Absolutely. fall if you have some incident yeah. such as that. Otherwise, yeah, and you're going to need some therapy too. Yeah. And and in the other scenarios where you're transitioning, where you've just hit activities for daily living requirement, for example, then you're going to have enough notice to where I assume that that uh, plans and accommodations can be made there within the community. And that's probably the more 
I don't know if it's the more common scenario than than a fall or a a traumatic incident, but mm-hmm. but certainly in those situations where you have notice, and I would think that'd be the majority of cases, that then it would be unusual for there not to be space. Is that what you would say? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, but it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, on on the subject of the money, um, I was going to maybe take this up a little bit later, but we can might as well talk about it now. It it's really hard for people to understand uh, anybody I think who's not in the industry to understand how the the financial model and the economics work. Um, the reason that you typically see a relatively large front end purchase is um, for to provide funds that will that will protect a fixed price on a monthly basis. Is that is that one of the reasons an inflationary consideration? Uh, that's one of the reasons, um, and uh, a lot of the the upfront fees, especially for new projects, are used to um, to offset some of the financing uh, uh, demands of the project when it's first first opening. But um, yeah, I mean that's exactly what it's for. So um, when. When people uh, enter into these contracts, uh, these contracts will not cover, of course, all of their costs. They still will have a monthly fee they pay that covers right. uh, certain things. And then there also will be a um, um, items that are not included in what would otherwise be within the budget. For example, you'll get a food bu- a food budget, I understand, that's part of your the amount that you pay monthly, but still there could be additional costs to that depending on whether you exceed that budget. Is that correct? Yeah. Typically they give you a certain number of meals and you can, uh, they generally give you breakfast and then a certain number of meals per uh, um, that you can have for lunch or for dinner. Uh, other fees can include uh, pet fees, parking fees, um, meal delivery fees. If you're feeling sick and you need to have the meals delivered to you in your room, which those things are really incidentally waived during COVID because a lot of people um, had to to take their meals in their room during COVID. But um, those are things that you can expect to see. Um, certain medical supplies, certain drugs that are provided, like over-the-counter drugs. Uh, additional maintenance services, additional housekeeping services, guest meals uh, for your family. Those are all kinds of things that uh, uh, that you can see on your bill. Uh, they often don't provide incontinent products uh, such as adult attends, um, and those will uh, those will be in addition to your monthly service fee as well. So uh, let, let's talk about, and this will help people understand this a little better, let's talk about these, what's characterized as, in broad categories, three different approaches to this subject of continuing care retirement communities. One that is the most comprehensive plan, as I understand it, in which you, you pay a substantial front end, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe even more than a million in some places. Uh, but then, then you generally have a fixed amount, say six thousand a month or less, perhaps that you pay each month, and it includes many things. Matter of fact, the majority of things, with noting right. your, the exceptions you mentioned. And then there's an, an an intermediate plan where you pay less on the front end, 
but some things are covered and and some things are not and there's a lot more things that aren't covered in that scenario than in scenario one and then such as your skilled nursing okay uh, okay, that's an important point. I, I didn't wasn't aware of that. So then the the, the third item is apparently one that is um, is kind of like a buffet uh, in which you you pay for pay as you go for what you use. Right. You know that is a much uh, less expensive option for people, but um, you know I'm not a real proponent of that because people will not tend to eat as many calories as they need to eat in order to stay healthy. And so I'd rather have them down there three meals a day. The meal service is all designed by a dietitian to provide balanced and appropriate uh, nutrition for uh, seniors. And uh, when you um, provide that meals, those meals a la carte or unbundle them, so to speak, uh, it's my experience that um, the, the, the people's nutrition suffers. So if you're going to cut your costs, don't cut your food costs, you know, sell your car or whatever. But, you know, you really need to to follow the nutritional program that these places set up and they're specifically designed to provide ideal caloric intake and nutrition for for seniors. And there's nothing more important than getting proper nutrition and proper exercise uh, to your health and, and engagement. Uh, those are the really the three legs of the stool that you need to maintain your 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 health. And, and I would I would be concerned I would be concerned that it would discourage participation in events and activities that that there would otherwise be a fee for and many people might be trying to stay within a very tight budget and they lose some of the benefit of living in this community. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are on fixed incomes. Um, and, uh, with the stock market decline that we've experienced, uh, a lot of people's, you know, uh, investment vehicles have really taken a hit and they're only now starting to recover somewhat. So people obviously don't want to outlive their, their savings. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to outlive everything else ex- except your savings. Except <laughs> your money. <laughs> uh, so uh, these are sometimes called like, what, category or contract A and contract B and contract C. I've heard that language used. Have you heard Correct. similar similar language? Yeah, I, I think I have a definition of each of those here I can read to you if you like. Yeah, in fact, you had... Uh, you made a reference to three different names of these types of contracts that is in this brochure, this booklet that I described a while ago. So go there. Oh, okay. Those of you uh, who uh, who have an interest in this topic, be sure and get this booklet I mentioned a while ago because yeah, here it is here. It, yeah, it does make what what phrases do you use, Ben? I've I forgot your language, but you didn't use A, B, and C. Uh, that people will hear this, and at least uh, you listeners, you need to know that 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 the the industry thinks in terms of like these three categories, and and then the one in the middle has a little bit of both. Uh, so you have you know the all inclusive plan, which of course has you paying a lot more on the front end, but it also is going to have more fixed pricing. 
Um, so they're assuming a, a little bit of risk in terms of inflation, et cetera, but it gives you more security about what your costs will be over time. And then on the other extreme, on the other side, is one that you just, it's a la carte, and you're paying uh, for activities or for meals as you choose. There'll be some right. things that, that will be, but as you, as you point out, Ben, it's largely unbundled, was your, was right. your word. Well, Joe, one thing I wanted to point out, uh, and not only is this available in CCRCs, but it's also available in most assisted living facilities and memory care facilities, is they have what's called a respite program where the uh, individual can come in and they can spend a few nights there, a few days there to try it on and see how they like it. So instead of plopping down you know, a one-month entry fee or uh, several hundred thousand dollars, they could come in and they could experience um, the building, experience the food, experience the activity program uh, for a few days and and see how they like it. So, you know, each position, each place is not for everyone. And so having the ability to come in and try it before you um, uh, make the commitment is uh, is a very valuable thing for people. I, I think that there's not a lot of people who really push that at the facility level, but virtually every facility has that. You just have to ask for it. Very good information. The test drive, right? Test I mean, drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's and an important, it's important because you may get in there, and you know it's traumatic to move all your stuff into an apartment, set up your apartment and learn about how to operate everything and learn about the food, what time to go, you know, whether people are going to like you or not going to like you, you know, and it's just so much better to go in there and experience it firsthand without making the commitment so that if it's not the right place for you, then you can quickly determine that and try someplace else. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. Now, let me uh, ask too about that scenario that, um, I'm sure it comes up from time to time is where people move into a facility. Let's assume that they're in this category A in which they have paid a substantial fee to go in. They imagine they'll be there decades. It turns out that something happens uh, that that they pass away in maybe mm-hmm. two years or three years. Uh, many people would be concerned that that was a waste. Can you talk about what the policies are typically regarding that? Well, typically, um, you put the um, the initial down payment down, and then the refundability of that payment erodes at a certain amount per month. And so um, I think if you're there two years, it's probably eroded down to where it's not refundable. Um, but up until that point, um, it enables people to, to get part of their uh, entry fee back. And then if they were to actually purchase a unit in there, then they can obviously remarket the unit. Their family can remarket the unit. Yeah, that's, that's an important that's point. Another, uh, that's another point I want to make out. If you go and move into a brand new facility, there's a lot of empty units. So the family is competing against all those empty, empty units to remarket their unit, Okay. But if you move into a building that's relatively full and there's still demand, then the fact that your ability to remarket and and cash out of your unit is much, 
much quicker than in a building that's, you know, relatively new, has a lot of vacant units. Now, it it's uh, it's the general rule, is it not, that the people, though, who are buying their units are really not usually acquiring real estate, right? They don't have a real estate interest like they would if they bought a condo. Do you agree with me, or is that is that common? That's that's typical, yeah. That that you do that you do not own it like you would a condo. I've seen in the industry. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this is offered, but I've seen mostly where they would um, they would purchase the unit like a condo, and then and then they would have to remarket it in order for to the family to 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 gain the. Uh, yeah, and I can see some advantages of that, and I like that model. Um, I had seen um, in the the several that I have looked at, um, what I saw was where you do pay a substantial front end, and you get rights to a unit, and you do have you know the opportunity to get refunds um, under certain conditions, and um, and in fact you can get refunds over a longer period. And these I was seeing like five to seven years was the amortization or the as you as you describe it, that portion that declines over a straight line basis, I think. Um, but but well, the big advantage to owning your unit is when you sell your primary residence, you can roll the equity right into the into the into the unit. So there's there's not a taxable event there. Yeah. Yeah, and so and, the stepped-up equity goes with it. But you do have that one lifetime opportunity to avoid taxes on the sale of a residence. But your point's well taken. But um, I'm glad to hear that that it is commonly an option for it to be an actual, as you describe, a real estate purchase. Uh, and and those where it's not, uh, then then they have rules that you um, you get some back, but. Uh, what it is going to be will depend upon exactly how long you were there. And I'm also seeing what you mentioned, where there's restrictions on sale. You can't have your money back from a unit until they find a new buyer. And so it kind of has you on hold. That mu- Those must be scenarios in which you do not have a real estate interest, technically. Right, right. And also... You don't get your money back until they find a new buyer. And if there's a bunch of vacant units, you know, it could be quite a long period of time before you get your money back. Yeah, yeah. So these are things that... um, Again, the advantage of moving into a fuller building. The fuller building is going to have be more financially stable. They're going to have more programs. They're going to have more uh, engagement. They're going to have more parties. There's just more money collectively to provide all the services that that uh, people can enjoy. The brand new buildings, while they do have budget for that, they don't have enough people in there to break even until they're, I don't know, 50, 60 percent occupied. And so they're, they're very budget conscious when uh, until they reach that break even point. And once they exceed that break-even point, then uh, um, uh, the the programs become more robust. So, what? Uh, tell me about uh, kind of the health of the industry. Do you think there's any danger of the industry being overbuilt, or is it the reverse? Could it be underbuilt? Uh, well, one thing that we've noticed 
through COVID is there was a real hesitancy for um, investment bankers and investors to build new facilities. So uh, during during the COVID period, there was a real shortage, uh, real uh, slowdown in the amount of new properties that came online. And so the existing buildings uh, who suffered a considerable loss uh, because of COVID in their occupancy had this pent up demand and were able to recover um, and operate now uh, higher than their pre-COVID uh, occupancies. So in the future, um, I think that we're going to see more development of independent living communities where the building is operated like a cooperative and uh, the residents, the building will provide like meals and housekeeping and um, maintenance services and some activities and the residents will contract separately for their care through home health agencies. So um, when you look at the profitability of those, the availability of staff, the cost of staff, um, I think what we'll see is a lot more development projects that are more independent living with the residents contracting for their own care needs. And that'll be attractive to them initially because when they come in, the, uh, the monthly service fee will be a third of what you know, you're going to find in a CCRC uh, and maybe half of what you're finding in assisted living. Um, but then as their lifestyle challenges become increasingly complex and they need, uh, you know, personal care assistance with, with their activities of daily living, then um, obviously their costs are going to go up. But when you uh, bring in certain home health agencies then the when the advantage of that is the there's no travel time and so you bring in a home health agency and they're not sending their staff to your house and my house and the neighbor's house and all over town they're sending their staff to one address and they're dealing with uh the uh and scheduling the individual's needs and care needs right there and so there's that whole transportation issue that uh, goes away and um so the residents that live there will be able to contract that home health agency cheaper than they would be if they were staying at home and getting it out of their own personal residence. And that would be true for lots of the third-party providers of services that would otherwise be in-house in a traditional CCRC. Such as physical therapists, occupational therapists, yes. Maybe even food deliveries or things like that. I like the point that you made about the efficiencies of that is that it would end up being less than if everybody in the facility went out and shopped their own deals with their own independent uh, providers. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a lot easier to get financing on the development of buildings that are independent living that do not have um, the ownership managing the care component. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a whole risk element there that people are nervous about. Um, let's say if another um, pandemic goes through our country. And when you look at the profitability of those and the um, 
operating margins are much better uh, with the lower care facilities than they are with the higher care facilities. That's why the cap rates are so much lower on those buildings when they go to value them than than in like skilled nursing, for instance, which could be upwards of 11, 12%. So we're going to break here because we're breaking this into two shows. So just go to the next show to see this conversation continue. Another episode of Life's Third Act. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.